Welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley, and thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Finally, finally, some good news on the COVID-19 front. Pfizer and BioNTech have managed to get their vaccine approved by British regulators. There's talk people may start receiving the vaccine in the UK as early as next week. This, strangely enough, has led to a spitting match between the UK and the US. Why? I have no idea. Britain's education secretary, not their health care secretary, their education secretary, Gavin Williamson, said the UK was first because they have better regulators than France or even the US. That drew fast pushback from Dr. Anthony Fauci. You all know who he is. He said British regulators hadn't looked at as closely at the data from clinical trials as the Food and Drug Administration in the US. Honestly, kids, kids, can we stop all this? People are dying every day. And people have nothing better to do with their time than to argue about who's the best. To his credit, Dr. Fauci walked back his remarks in fairly short order, which is why he should and probably will play that is a major role in the fight against the virus, at least in the Biden administration. He seems to have been sort of pushed to the side during the outgoing administration. Meanwhile, having a vaccine, as the British are finding out, doesn't mean there won't be controversy over who gets it first or fight back from anti-vaxxers. At first, a UK government advisory committee recommended that nursing home residents and staff should receive the vaccine first. But then Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the vaccine would only be administered in hospitals first. Talk about confusion. This is, sadly enough, all too prominent when it comes to how the British do their politics and their health advisories. One day it's one thing, the next day it's another. At one point, they say masks don't wear, uh, make that much of a difference. And then they turn right back around and say people need to wear masks. And in some cases, they make mandates, which is a problem that Joe Biden is going to be dealing with since he now says people need to wear masks for the first hundred days of his administration. There are those who argue that, for example, and again, I'm looking at, at Britain now, that people living in tier three, in the UK, or actually in England, which are those at highest risk for contracting the virus, should receive priority. Imagine the turmoil in the States once the FDA greenlights any vaccine. Who would get it first? More fundamentally, who would make that decision? Donald Trump? The mind reels. A quick step back reveals the following. There are currently three vaccines that are well known 
to most people both in the UK and the US. There's Pfizer, there's AstraZeneca Oxford, and there's Moderna. There are literally dozens of others that are in the various stages of development and testing, including, interestingly, two in Cuba. How and under what circumstances these vaccines, once approved, will be distributed around the world is anybody's guess. So too is when and under what circumstances the world will return to some semblance of normalcy. What's frightening to me is that nations don't appear to have learned any lasting lessons from this virus that has taken so many lives around the planet. There are still those advocating some type of herd immunity, those who say COVID-19 is no more dangerous than the flu, and those who equate measures to ensure public safety to some loss of personal freedom. Beyond these absurdities, however, lies one thing that I simply cannot get out of my head. And that is that we appear to have learned very little during these trying, and I mean really, really trying, nine plus months. We've seen good people die alone with family unable to be with them. Even their funerals in many cases have ended up being solitary affairs with family again on the outside looking in. All this death, all this suffering to me is a sign that we need to do better as humankind to care for our planet, to care for ourselves, and to care for each other. It makes me sad that at this time in my own life, we seem not to have figured this out. We've seen in so-called developed countries, pitched battles between those who wanna protect against this virus and those whose principal concern is the economy of their city, their state, their county, their country, whatever. As if there is no possible way to do both. Make no mistake, the ravages of the coronavirus are not done yet, vaccine or no vaccine. Many more people will die before people can hug again. Unless we make the best use we can out of the dark winter ahead, we will repeat the grave mistakes of this virus when the next virus comes. Up next, until Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are sworn in, what further lunacy can we expect from Donald Trump and from his enablers? This is The Intersection. Welcome back to this episode of The Intersection. Imagine for a moment that you live in a place where people talk seriously about suspending your country's constitution, calling out the military to supervise an election do-over, and numbers of people who ought to know better shout for the heads of people they disagree with politically. Are we talking about some totalitarian state? Nope. It's the good old USA. 
As part of Donald Trump's I-1-I-1 virtual tweet tour 2020, we've heard these abominable words coming from his coterie of enablers. Almost as bad are those who enable this craziness by their silence. And I'm talking specifically about Republican members of the United States Congress. Consider the recent, quote, hearing, unquote, by Michigan state legislators at which Rudy Giuliani made a fool of himself yet again. And even he, in this case, was outdone. A woman named Melissa Carone made such a fool of herself that even Rudy had to try and tone her down. Her bizarre, unruly so-called testimony has gone viral with a reported 17 million views on social media. And don't forget who invited her to testify. Yep, Rudy Giuliani. And this isn't the first time he's had people who are somewhat questionable testifying in front of legislators, in front of press conferences, in front of the assembled media. And if that weren't enough, the recently pardoned former National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, retweeted a full page ad. That's right, a full page ad that called for the suspension of the Constitution, imposition of martial law, and a new election overseen by the U.S. military. Now, you may have heard about these sorts of things happening in dictatorships or happening when the military is not happy with the result of an election. It's called a military coup. It is unprecedented in U.S. history. That is for certain. It's gotten so bad that Trumper Sidney Powell and personal injury lawyer L. Lynn Wood have even directed their fire at fellow Republicans in Georgia which is where Donald Trump's gonna be this weekend. Because of course, there is a runoff election that's pitting two Democrats against two Republicans and Powell and Wood are telling people to boycott that election, which would probably ensure the election of the two Democrats. And this is all the result of a full page ad in the Washington Times by some Tea Party guy from Ohio. Now you would think a party with any legitimacy whatsoever would immediately denounce this type of loose talk. Not the GOP. After all, I assume they listened to Donald Trump's 46 minute rant the other day, doubling down on specious claims that he won the election and that any other result was fraudulent. Now think about this folks. He's been saying this since the day he was inaugurated that four years from back in 2017, if there was an election and he didn't win it, it had to be fraud. That's how he doubles down. Trump and his minions have claimed powers that he doesn't have, allegations that are provably false and general bluster in this month since the election. The other thing that he's done quietly behind the scenes is get rid of certain people, for example, civilian advisory boards in the Pentagon, replacing them, the people that he dumped, with Trump loyalists. A purge, by the way, that would make Joseph Stalin look on with some pride, because Trump is doing it while nobody's looking, supposedly. The lawyers in his midst ought to be disbarred for wasting the time of numerous federal and state courts, and Trump himself I suppose we should be satisfied with the fact he's leaving office on January 20th. Sad to say, 
that's not quite enough for me. There ought to be a cost for what he's done to American democracy. It may come from Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance, or maybe New York State Attorney General Tish James. They're both investigating his finances. Maybe he'll try something really stupid, like pardoning all his friends and family for crimes not even yet alleged. One thing is for sure, he hasn't run out of suckers, and I do say suckers, who continue to pour cash into his coffers. Saw one figure today of around three, I'm sorry, $495 million raised since October. This sort of grifting happens once in a lifetime, and Trump knows it. He absolutely knows it. So far, only one sucker wants his money back. For Christmas, Donald Trump ought to watch It's a Wonderful Life, because for him, it is. I'm also not yet ready to bet the store that Trump is going to run for office again in four years. Just as some of his supporters questioned Joe Biden's mental acuity, time for me to question his. How does anybody know he won't be drooling out the side of his mouth by 2024? And more importantly, how does anyone know the nation won't have moved on in four years? Trump rules currently by fear. All these Republican lackeys who would have voted to lynch Barack Obama had he tried half the things Trump has done, will they still be paralyzed with fear at the mere mention of Donald Trump's name? Could be, but I'm betting not. The other side of the equation is how the Biden administration plots the recovery of the U.S. from COVID. If unemployment comes down to pre-pandemic levels, if serious action is taken regarding the pressing issues like health care, climate change, and police brutality, maybe, just maybe, there won't be a need for Trump's brand of grifting under the guise of authoritarian populism. One can only hope. Thanks so much for listening. The executive producer of The Intersection is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Peter Cree and Peaking Lights. 